Well, I know some of you have been um, studying and really trying to do well at exams and uni and trying to get through, but I just got to tell you when um, I was in year nine, I was asked to leave the school that I was at and uh, had to start at a new school, um, didn't have a choice. And I started um, at a new school in year 10 and I arrived on my first day at Fentragalli Technical School in Melbourne and I'd um, really played up at my last school. Um, I became the class clown and trying to just be friends with everybody and um, didn't do any work and, and it got me into trouble. But I made a commitment to Christ the year before, you know, I failed, like year nine, made a commitment. And um, I tried to live out that commitment, but because of the way I react, you know, the way everyone expected to me to act and the way I'd sort of put myself into this role within the class, it was very hard to change. And so for the rest of the year, I just really continued on with change on the inside, but not eventuating on the outside. And then when I went to this new school, for me, it was like a whole new beginning. And I remember um, walking to school every day and just trying to memorise Psalm 1, you know, blessed are those who do not walk in the way of the wicked or in the counsel of the sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but instead they find joy in obeying the law of the Lord and they meditate on it day and night. And I remember doing that each day as I went to walk to, to school, saying, God, would you help me to be someone who's going to live for you? And I remember, you know, hanging out with the tough guys still. I always tended to hang out with the toughies, as you could probably tell just by looking at me. Uh, but this time I'd changed on the inside, you know, and uh, they, these guys, they bought uh, bottles of Brandovino to school and they sort of would say to me, come on, do you want to have a drink? You know, and I, uh, you know, this, I say, no. They asked me to smoke marijuana and things and I said to them, no. I remember one time they were getting really frustrated and they were trying to get me to swear and they were saying, come on, John, just say the word. Come on, say it. And I, I'd changed and they could see the difference. And I remember really growing in a real sense of um, love for these guys and a desire for them to know what I knew about God. And our, our church uh, was screening the Jesus video. And so I said to these blokes, I said, I'd just love you to Catch the train from where you are up Belgrave and up Upway and I'll meet you at Baronia Station and come to our church. We're watching the Jesus video. And I remember the first week I sat at the station eagerly waiting and no one showed up, you know. And I remember walking back to the church and being sad, watched the video. But they were doing it three weeks in a row. So I went back and said, what happened? Oh, we couldn't make it, John, but we'll come next week. And I remember the next week coming and same thing happened. No one came. And the third week, there was one guy that came um, who uh, agreed. His name was Jason, and he watched the movie together, and we didn't talk too much about it afterwards. But I remember being thankful that he'd come and, and praying for him. And then in the next few weeks, I, some, some of the guys who didn't come asked for some Bibles. You know, they said, John, we'd love to uh, you know, have some Bibles. We want to know about it. So I gave one guy a Bible, and he sort of went around the school going, who's the word of the Lord, you know, and, sort of hitting people with it and stuff like that. So he made a lot of fun of it. Um, but, you know, I, I, hope, I prayed that he would read it. And um, I remember being there one time after these sort of things had happened and, and my friend Jason, who came to the Jesus video, the Jesus movie, came running around the corner. He said, John, John, quick, there's some Jesus freaks, some Jesus freaks here. 
I said, all right, I better go. So I ran around and, and there was this like um, minivan which had spray painted all over it, you know, love and peace and Jesus saves and, you know, uh, and there were these like kind of hippie people on the corner just sort of preaching and saying, Jesus loves you guys, you know, and there was one guy that had a, a broken arm in plaster and the guy, you know, prayed for him right then and there and said, we pray you'll be healed. And one of, one of the, my mates sort of saw his shirt, which sort of had Jesus loves you on it, and he said, oh, cool shirt, man. And the guy said, would you like my shirt? You know, and so he took off his shirt right then and there and gave it to the guy. Everyone's going, what do you think, John? And this guy's real. Is this... Is this what, you know, is this right? And I remember having lots of discussions about that. Um, later on, I, I caught up with Jason after kind of leaving school and uh, we kept in touch. And he was a, a policeman, a Victorian policeman, and every now and again we'd, we'd kind of run into each other. And then he was running for um, the, uh, a seat in the state parliament. He was going for a, a, um, a seat there in Dandenong, the seat where I was a pastor in a church in. And so I said, why don't you come to the church and we'll just ask you some questions at church while you're running and all that. And it just worked out the week that he came to church, I was preaching. This is the, the topic I was preaching on. Um, it was, uh, if your eye causes you to sin, rip it out. <laughs> and he came and, and we are sitting there to, and we had some interesting discussions afterwards. He was like, Rip it out, Johnny, he'd say to me all the time, you know, and he, he laughed a lot about it, but he came. And then later on, you know, I gave him, um, because he's a policeman, there's this movie out, Carla Faye Tucker, and she was an axe murderer who became a Christian. And I gave it to him knowing that he kind of is an investigative sort of guy who'd be seeing and he interviews so many crooks. And he, he you know, I said, well, tell me what you think. Is, is it real? And he came back and he said, you know, John, the truth about this Carla Faye Tucker, she really believes what she believes is true. I said, oh, that's good, Jason. You know, what about you? Well, all I know is that she really believes <laughs> what she believes is true. And I remember uh, another time, you know, I gave him the, the Case for Christ, Lee Strobel's book, which just like a reporter looks for all the facts on whether Christ really came or not. And I gave that to him and asked him to read that. And then we had the Left Behind series at our church, and I asked him to come along. I was praying, Jason, oh, God, would you lead him to the Lord? And we were sitting there, and we were about 20 minutes into the film, and he got up and he said, I just can't stand it anymore, John. <laughs> and he walked right out. And I called him later on. I said, what, what, what happened? And he said, were they saying that all the Christians uh, go to be with, you know, get taken up, and the, and the others get left behind, the sinners? I said, yeah, that's what they were kind of saying. He said, oh, that's ridiculous. He said, I couldn't stand it. I said, well, wow. So we had to talk about that. And, you know, every now and again, he, he's now become an elected federal politician. So he's, he's an MP, Member of Parliament, and he's in Canberra and he's representing an um, electorate down in Melbourne. Um, but every now and again, we still talk, and I still talk to him, and we, I talk to him about some of the legislation before Parliament and what he thinks about it, and um, we catch up every now and again. But, you know, after all these years, I just can't think of anything more rewarding than for, at my funeral, Jason to be gathering around my casket and saying, wow, John, 
he helped me come to know Jesus. You know, he never gave up on me. He kept loving me enough to share with me in every way that he possibly could about Jesus. You know, I, I think that since coming to know Christ myself, I, I try and seek to do that in every way I can. I was in a Christian band growing up trying to share the gospel with people in prisons, in you know, schools, everywhere we go, just trying to share with people about the love of Christ. And so much of what I'm doing today as a pastor is because I just want as many people to know about what Christ has done for them. And I'd love for all of us to be sharing with so many people that we meet daily, every way, trying to give them a book, talk to them, open up a conversation, cook them a casserole, have them over, so that together we could just reach hundreds and hundreds of people with the gospel. You know, tonight we're just looking at why would we want to share our faith? What reason would there be of sharing our faith? And just want to tell you that it's love is the reason that helps us want to share our faith, that motivates us to share our faith with other people. Do you know that the most perhaps well-known verse in the whole of the Bible is John 3.16, and it simply says, For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but should have eternal life. God loves people who are far from him and he longs for them to come to know him and to have a relationship with him. And the fact that God's love for people is why he sent his son Jesus to earth. You know, when I went to uh, Fiji, um, on my honeymoon with Mandy, we were going, I decided I'd do that scuba diving stuff. And uh, they, they sat down and said, you've got to have a lesson before you go scuba diving. And so they showed me, um, a, some, uh, gave me a test and I had to look at this and what happens when you put this on. And then if you're out of gas, out of air, you've got to go like this and you've got to, they went through all the different phases and they gave me a test above water and then if I got one wrong, I failed, that was it. You know, I'd have to do it again. And then they gave me the test again underwater. And then I had to do it a third time, you know, written down, so that they knew that I understood the dangers and, and got the answers right and the safety. Three times they made me go through it. You know, when something is really important, you do it three times. And you know what happens? In John... Uh, sorry, in Luke 15, there's an incredible chapter, Luke 15, where Jesus is speaking and he's talking to people that are listening. And, and he gives an example three times, like rapid fire, like a machine gun, boom, 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 telling people one thing. And when he repeats something three times, whenever you see something in Scripture repeated over and over again, you know what you should do? Listen. It's important. And so Jesus here gives three stories, one after the other, three times in a row, and they all have the same theme, something that's important, you need to catch. And 
the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and they'd come, they'd come here to hear what Jesus was saying. And so had the sinners and the tax collectors, it says at the start there. And they were um, muttering. They were saying, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. And Jesus had got into trouble before for associating with people that were far from him, that were in the wrong. And he felt uh, that he had to answer their complaints. He was getting a bit annoyed with it, I would think. And while everyone was there, while the teachers of the law were there muttering under their breath, saying he eats with sinners, Jesus gets so annoyed. I can imagine kind of his levels of frustration getting, you know, building as they're muttering under his breath, saying, look at him, look at him here. And he's getting annoyed and annoyed. And he says, they still, these, these religious leaders, they still haven't got the point. They don't understand. And so he just lets loose with one story straight away. And he, he gives three in a row. The first one, he says to them, there's a, sh- there's a shepherd. He has a hundred sheep. And, you know, one night he's out counting the sheep, he kind of says, you know, perhaps. 96, 97, 98, 99. One's missing. He, he, he leaves the 99 sheep in the open field and he goes running and he looks for him. He looks up and down until he can find him. And when he finds the sheep, he puts it on his shoulders and he comes back running and he says, oh, rejoice with me. Come here, rejoice. I found my lost sheep. I can picture Jesus telling that story to the scribes and the Pharisees and thinking, they got it? Have they understood it? And as they're looking and these guys are still thinking, Maybe they've still got their arms crossed. He said, I don't think they've got it. I better give them another one. He says, there's a woman. She had 10 silver coins and uh, she loses one. And so now she's got nine and she lights a lamp and she sweeps the floor, goes right through the house, right back to front until she finds the coin that is missing. And when she finds the coin, she gathers her neighbours together and says, rejoice with me because I found my lost coin. You see, something that was lost is found. Something that's far from, from being you know, away is now found. They get it. Jesus probably looks. I don't think they're completely there yet. So he tells one more story. And he says about a son and a father. And a father who had, he had two sons. And the youngest came to him and said, Dad, give me my share of the farm. And his father gave him his share and left, uh, his son left with his pockets full of money. And he went out and he spent the inheritance of, that his father was giving to him on parties and on wild living. And he went out and he, tried, he got his, all these friends that gathered around him, but soon the money ran out and the friends ran out and he found himself destitute and feeding pigs. And right there, one day, while he was feeding pigs, he realised, hey, here I am just eating this silly food when I could be back at my father's home. He rehearses what he's going to say when he gets there. But as soon as he's near the house, the father sees him in the distance and comes running and hugs him and says, welcome home, welcome home. He kissed him. He called his servants. He said, bring the best robe, put it on him. Let's kill the fatted calf. Come on, let's have a party because what was lost is found. And as Jesus finishes the story, I can imagine him looking at their faces and saying, I think now they've got it. One after the other, God loves people. He loves people that are lost. He loves people that are far from him and he wants them to come to know him. God's love 
is why he sent Jesus. God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, that's the, as they were listening, those people, they might have been thinking, who, is he meaning us? These, these filthy tax collectors, these horrible people that everyone looked at and thought they were, you know, just extorting money, the sinners, they must have been think, feeling so inadequate there as the judgmental people were saying, oh, who do they think they are being around here? But as they listened to the story, the hair must have stood on edge thinking, is he saying, I'm someone who matters to God? Am I someone who really might be one that God's looking for and wanting to reach out to? Maybe that's how they were feeling. They would have felt incredible that the God of the heaven and earth was looking for them, seeking them. It's the first motive for telling other people about Jesus. God's love of people who are far from him. And Jesus himself said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke 19.10. And for me, I just think that it's so wonderful news that God loves lost people that are far from him. Because when I was just 14 uh, and failing in school and everyone feeling like I was a failure, late at night when everyone else was asleep, In my bed, I passed over from death to life. I passed over from being a sinner to being someone who was saved by the grace of God. Just right in the middle of the night, just right there before I went to sleep, I said, God, if you're real, I just want you to come into my life. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Jesus, would you forgive me? I want to live my life for you now. And right there, everyone else in the house had no idea what was going on. But my eternal destination was changing. And God's love was was just being demonstrated to this sinner who's far from God. And I became his child. And I just think that's incredible that God would love me like that. And ever since then, now, I continue to live each day knowing that God loves me and God thinks I'm worth dying for. And he wants to help me each day. He wants to guide me. He wants to lead me. I pray to him. I ask him for his help. I ask him for his guidance. And life has been different since that day. God loved the world so much that he sent his son. I think that's good news to share. His love is what helped me be saved. His love is what reaches out to lost people. And that's worth telling other people about. I think, secondly, the love of Christ, God's love, first of all, is seeing that he sent his only son. God loves lost people that are far from him. But secondly, the love of Christ then compels us to share this good news with others. The love of Christ compels If you have your Bibles, it would be great just to turn over to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verses 10 to 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 10 to 21. And this is what Paul writes there. And he, he says in 10, For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him 
for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Paul begins this passage by just stating in stark terms, just just the the raw facts. He's saying each person is going to stand before the the judgment seat. We're all going to die and we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And each one will receive what is due for the things done uh, while in the body, whether good or bad. You know, and and you might think, hang on a minute, you know, is it whether we do good or bad that saves us? No, Paul's addressing the church in Corinth and he's letting them know that they're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, not for salvation. They'd put their trust in Jesus Christ. Salvation's secure when you put your trust in Jesus Christ. But this is a, a, a time when they would stand before the judgment seat of Christ and, and what they would be there is their lives would be evaluated with what they have done since they have come to know Jesus as their saviour. They'd be commended. For, we'll be commended for the time that we've spent, for the things that we've done with the love of God that we've received and how we've used that in our life, how we've lived our lives as a result of what God has done for us. You know, Paul says, mark it down. Each of us are going to die. And we're going to come before God and we're going to give an account of our lives for how we have lived uh, in in response to Christ. Then Then he says, since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. And we try to persuade men what is plain to God. And I hope it's plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it's for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it's for you. What he's saying then is because we know that one day we're going to give an account of our lives to God, we have this kind of holy fear, this kind of fear that says, imagine if we, if we miss the opportunities to be sharing what God has done in our lives and his love for them with other people and we come before God at the end of our lives and we see that oh, when our lives are evaluated, we haven't shared with people the love of Christ. And imagine if we get to that time, so we come not only with, with a sense of, oh, God, we want to do the best in sharing this faith, this love that you have with others. We want to take every opportunity we can. But then it says in verse 14, Paul says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. Here Paul saying, because Christ has died in our place, we've received the love of God, we've received the love of Christ. Receiving that compels us. It changes our whole lives and makes us want to share and, and love other people and share with, with others about what Christ has done. You know, as you look at Paul, you can see that... Uh, he, what he's, that he's saying that he's controlled by the love of Christ. He's compelled by the love of Christ. It consumes and it directs his actions. It's interesting to note that, you know, Paul, before the road to Damascus experience, his life was a life that was turned around on that experience on the road to Damascus when he came face to face with the risen Christ. But before that, the compelling desire in his heart was to hate Christians and to kill Christians. He was wanting to persecute them and, and destroy them and he'd be looking out actively for ways to actually you know, hurt Christians. And now as he's given his faith 
uh, as he's met Jesus and he's come to a relationship with him, the love of Christ is compelling him. It's now love that's driving his ministry. It's now love that's driving everything that he does. And he wants to live his life in such a way that people know the love of Christ and the love of God. Is that your desire? Are you, you now saying, God, because what you've done in my life, my whole life now is consumed with your love for me and now I want to take it and share this love that you have for me with other people. I want to tell people what you've done. I want to, I want to share with you, with others, what you've done. Christ's love compels us to share with others the good news. You know, it's absolutely incredible the transformation that God has made in our lives through Jesus Christ. We've, he's given us hope uh, and he's given us love and he's given us hope and he's given the promise of being with him in heaven forever. And, and we just want to share that with others. You know, when you realise how much God's done for you, when you have this appreciation of what he's done, you just want to tell everyone. You want to share with other people so they can know his love too. You know, this is just what happened in Acts chapter 3. In Acts Three, we see that Peter and John came across this man who'd been crippled from birth and um, the guy was being carried on a stretcher to the place where he'd beg every day. And as he saw Peter and John uh, going by, and he asked them for money. And Peter, uh, the Bible says, looked straight at him in the eye and he said, look at us. Peter said, look at us, look at us. We don't have any money. But i tell you what we do have. We do have Jesus. And in his name I say, rise up and walk. And you know what happened? The man stood up and he started jumping and walking and, 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 and praising God for what he'd done right there through the temple courts. You know, and what, so what's happened is uh, Peter has said, we don't have money, but we do have Jesus. And he says, rise up and walk. And this guy, instead of just going, well, thank you very much for that. Uh, now I'll walk and just go home. He starts telling everyone about it. He starts praising God. Look what's happened to me. I used to be lame. Now I can walk. And now look at that. Isn't that great? And that's the overflow. When you've received the love of God, when you've received his work in your life, then you want to share it with other people. It's just like in John chapter 4 where Jesus came across a woman at the well and after talking to her, she, he said to her, you know, I'm he, I'm the coming one, I'm the, I'm the resurrection and the life, I'm the one uh, who is the Messiah. You're speaking to him. She went back to her uh, village and she told all the people, come and see the man who told me everything that I've ever done. Could this be the one? And Jesus came back to that town and many followed because of her testimony. When Jesus, when you've received his love, when you receive the love of God through relationship with Jesus Christ, you want to share that with others. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. It's his love that helps us to come to know God in the first place. It's the first thing. Second thing, the love of Christ compels us to want to share it with other people and to let other people know about it. And third, our love for other people. As a result, we become like Christ and like God that we want to become his ambassadors and share with him in every way that we can. See, this is what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. 
as though, we were, as though Christ were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So he's saying we become, we are now ambassadors for Christ. You know, if you're an ambassador um, for Australia, if you're an Australian ambassador, it means you live in another country and you tell people around that country what Australia's like and you let them know about uh, all the things in Australia and you're representing that country in that place. You know, we're sharing with others about another kingdom. We're telling people about the kingdom of God. And he doesn't generally use angels or visions to meet people. It's not the normal way to reach people. He usually uses people like you and me sharing and being his ambassadors. Just our love for other people means that we want to be Christ's ambassadors. And do you know that every single Christian, every single follower of Christ is exactly who God created you to be. You know, when you came to know him, you had a personality, you had gifts, you had uh, talents, you had abilities. Uh, Well, when you came to know him and you put your trust in him, God's spirit comes and lives within you and gives you gifts. Uh, But the abilities that you've already been working on, like Paul, he had so many gifts when he came to know Jesus. But God made no mistake in giving you the personality, the gifts, the talent, the abilities that you have and your perspective on life. And he wants to use you just the way you are right where you are right now. Right now. He's got you where you are in life so he can use you to reach people for him. He wants you to be his ambassadors. You're called to speak on God's behalf this week, to reach out to lost people, to tell them that they matter to him, to love them, to love them in the way that you've been loved by God. Those people need a person just like you. God wants to use you just as you are. You don't have to become some Billy Graham evangelist. You don't have to change your voice into a godly sort of spooking thing. Just be yourself. If you're a fun-loving kind of person, then share the gospel in that way. If you're someone who's you know, really into the details and want to prove, and you know, use it that way. If you're someone who is relational in the way that you're you know, touchy-feely, well, let them know the love of Christ as you just show them that by your relationship that you have with them. Now, when I think of the fact that I'm part of God's plan to reach lost people, I want to share my faith with them. You know, if I don't, who else will? God's wanting to use me in the relationships that I have. And I, I kind of imagine standing before God when I'm in heaven and saying, well done, Jonathan. You know, I placed you here in Wodonga. I gave you these kind of people to reach. I, I, I put these people around so that you would share with them and you've really done the best you can. They needed a person with your personality. They need a person with your gifts. They needed a person with your, um, you know, just your perspective on life to help them come to know Jesus. And you were faithful. I long for that. I find it kind of exciting each day to see how God might bring about an opportunity for me to share with someone. Wouldn't it be great to just start each day saying, God, 
I don't know where you are. I don't know where you, I don't know, uh, sorry, I don't know where you're going to put me today or what opportunities you're going to lie before me or bring before me. But I just want to be, let you know that I'm available and I'm ready to be used by you. The love of Christ compels us. This comes from the fact that God so loved the world that he sent his only son. When we've received that love, the love of Christ compels us and we want to become his ambassadors and share the good news with him. But I just want to tell you, it's just not good enough. You know, I I just really want to plead with you that it's not enough just to go home and to say, that was a nice message. Um, I just hope I... Uh, breeze into some relationships randomly. <laughs> you know, I just hope and pray that tonight you would go away from here saying, how can I actually start to share this love of Christ with people? Because you know what? As young as you are, as um, you know, rarely seeing people around you pass away or die, people are dying every day. And the time is now to start building loving relationships. You know, last week I saw my next-door neighbour at the front of his house and I waved to him and he smiled back and he waved back. He's been a, a good friend. You know, um, we bought a house, our house just uh, two years ago. I've never um, owned my own house and... Um, my mum and dad, my brother, he would just laugh at me saying, Jonathan, you'll never go to Bunnings or you don't know anything about handyman stuff. And I remember about a year ago, after speaking with my next door neighbour and coming home from Bunnings, I was thinking, if my brother could see me now, he'd have a whole different idea. Because I you know, I had the watering system parts and everything. And it's because my next door neighbour, he, he, he said to me, oh, you need to get this, you've got to go down to that place. And he gave me stuff, he helped me, you know. At Christmas time, my next door neighbour said, we've got a bike, we'd just love you to give it to the to church, you know, have it at the church. I remember, um, you know, as we had um, times together and we, caught, and we caught up, you know, he said, oh, you're the pastor at, at the church there that has all the people in the car park, you know, and, uh, you know, the, the car park attendants. I said, that's right. He said, there's a lot of people. I said, mate, you should come. You should see why so many people come. You know, why don't you come? He said, oh, not me, not me. Uh, I waved goodbye to him last week and then read in the paper that on Monday he was instantly killed uh, in a car accident. His car hit a tree. And uh, his funeral's tomorrow. Mandy and I are going to our next-door neighbour's funeral. And, you know, we can no longer, we no longer have the opportunity to share the love of Christ with him. He's died. And uh, I just want to say to you, you just don't know what tomorrow holds. You really don't. Um, we, we can make plans and we can do that, but please don't act as though we've got forever. Um, we don't know when our time is up. We don't know when our uh, friend's time is up. I just want to encourage you to please be ready. Make the most of every opportunity. I'm not saying to ram the gospel down people's throats, but constantly be sharing out of a love for God and what he's done for you. Give them appropriate things to help them take the next step in their faith journey and pray like crazy.
that they would come to know him. Why don't we pray? Hey? Oh God, I just want to thank you for your love.